0: Page to practice. Applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. From Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of education research in the classroom. Each episode features a conversation with a different guest, teachers, authors, and others interested in education, talking about what the phrase from page to practice means to them and the importance of applying evidence to classroom practice. Hi, and welcome to Series 5, Episode 12. In this episode, I spoke to Rachel Ball and Alex Fairlam, We chatted about their book, the importance of CPD, and how to engage with it both in and outside of school. Unfortunately, there was a technical issue at the end, and we do lose the final four minutes, more or less, of Alex's audio. I know what the issue was, and hopefully it won't happen again in future. You can still hear all of the CPD library round, though, with Rachel, but if it sounds a little disjointed, then you know why. Enjoy the episode. Great. Hi. So uh, in today's episode, I'm lucky enough to have two people here with me. I have Rachel and I have Alex. So uh, Rachel, would you mind introducing yourself, please?
1: Hi, so my name is Rachel Ball. I'm assistant principal at a large secondary school in Salford. I am in charge of teaching and learning and CPD. Uh, this podcast is just perfect for me because reading is my passion. Um, I'm particularly inter- inter- really interested in CPD reading and reading around teaching and learning for school. Um, I think from page to practice kind of for me is about this idea that it's great to have all this reading but what does that mean in a school context and that every school's got its different context every subject has got its different context and it's thinking about how you apply that knowledge um, without it being like tokenistic but in a really meaningful way to classroom situations
0: that's great and Alex could you yeah do the same thing introduce yourself for us
2: Um, I'm Alex Fairlam. I'm I'm all the way up in the sunny northeast. Um, I'm assistant principal teaching and learning and I also lead on literacy and CPD as well. Um, I'm a secondary committee member of the Historical Association, an SLE and an ELE. Um, and i've written what is history teaching now along with rachel and i've got um an inquiry coming out in a textbook fight for rights which is about women's rights in the 20th century for me page to practice is pretty much what rachel was saying we are in a high accountability um sector where there is this kind of desire to chase that kind of silver bullet um and for kind of um for progress to be made rapidly in various different areas and and with that comes therefore this um this kind of desire to chase these things and, and sometimes we miss that kind of context specific aspect of it so it's how we make sure that we're looking at the best best practice but we're also looking at our context and making sure that we're not just lifting something from one context and putting it into our own they're actually really thinking about what the purpose is the why the resources the vision of the school and making sure that everything that we're doing is is rooted in the best bets but with that kind of context sat behind it um, my own particular interests are diversity in the curriculum um, so how it is as Rachel was saying that we do sort of blended, not binary way, where it's not tokenistic, and we make sure that the curriculums and teaching and learning serves the uh, serves the communities which um, which we work with um, in effective, high impact ways.
0: Great, thanks for the great introduction. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag #PagePracticePodcast. Into the like the main body of what we're we're here to talk about today is your book. So we'll start with like where did it where did it come from? Before we even hear what's in it, where did it come from? How did this come about?
1: I'll let you start with this one,
2: Alex. <laughs> Um, So I think both me and Rachel have always had a dream of writing a book about history curriculum and and history teaching and learning and um, for me myself when I did my PGCE there were a couple of kind of big books out there by Kitson and Husbands and and that was all the way back kind of like 2009 onwards and it just kind of felt that now was an appropriate time to kind of produce one which was looking at kind of some of the practice that have evolved and developed since then particularly in the wake of more evidence-informed practice and that's not to say those books weren't it's just a lot more evidence has come out more current thinking so how it is that we ameliorate that with kind of um, history itself so looking not only at, at history subject pedagogical practice but also kind of that wider, Evidence led subject pedagogical practice and how we could pull that together. And obviously, you know, um, with the murder of George Floyd and the resulting Black Lives Matter movement, there's been a lot of changes within history curriculums in terms of diversification. So it felt like this was an appropriate time to not only look at the pedagogy behind teaching and, and how we might teach um, writing and, and reading, particularly post COVID, how it is that we might teach kind of substantive concepts such as. Um, Sorry, how we might teach disciplinary concepts such as um, causation and consequence, but then also how we teach perhaps those more difficult histories, which some teachers might be a little bit wary about introducing into their curriculum, such as decolonisation. We've got a chapter called Uncomfortable History, Gypsy Roma Traveller History and LGBTQ. So it was a way to kind of really think about what have been the developments within our subject and how it is that we could provide um those teaching it with um, guidance as to how
0: they might begin those conversations. Amazing. You packed in loads there, haven't you? (laughs) Yeah, go for (laughs) it, Rachel.
1: I think um, for me, um, well, for both of us, but really thinking about That support that we can give new teachers, heads of departments. I think both of us really passionately believe that subject-specific CPD is vitally important. Um, How can we explain well in the classroom if we don't have secure subject knowledge? And yet for a lot of teachers, they just either don't have the time, the space or the accessibility to that really high-quality subject-specific CPD. Um, So that's kind of where the the vision for the book came from, that it would be like this handbook, as Alex said, that would bring some of the more current ideas about history teaching, um, but also looking at some of the more... um, generic sort of core content of good teaching as well. So things like retrieval practice, homework, scaffolding, transition between year six and seven, and thinking about how we can apply that really well in the history classroom. And um, we, we, we had this vision for getting the best tr- practitioners out there to write um, pieces for the book. So it wasn't just going to be like our baby. It was going to be about real quality writing and getting some of the best teachers out there to contribute. I think, as Rachel said, it's that thing where, you know, there's a lot of top down CPD, which is taking
2: place in trusts and within schools. And it's, it's how we empower heads of department to be able to translate that within to subject specific practice so that it's not kind of a square peg and a round hole um, and how they can have conversations with their SLT links and their school improvement um, partners so they can say this is what we're doing we're doing this now and this is this is our approach and it's based on best best practice within the history teaching community, as well as that wider kind of pedagogical practice, which is out there because there can sometimes be that disconnect between whole school CPD and your subject specific. And sometimes it can be feel quite alien, particularly if you look at kind of things such as assessment and kind of what assessment looks like centrally, and then what that looks like within history and and how it is that we empower them to have those conversations to kind of push back and say, well, actually for us to get realistic, rigorous, reliable, assessment in history this is kind of what we need to do Um, and as Rachel said you know it doesn't claim to be the oracle Um, you know it's it's not kind of the the one-stop shop and that's why we've made sure that the format of it is here's some further articles that you can have a look at here are some questions that you can consider so that heads of department can really feel empowered about leading their departmental conversations by saying okay we've been asked to look at assessment as a school Here's what somebody has said in history about assessment. Here's some articles that we can read. Let's have these conversations and look at what we're going to move forward with.
0: So, thinking about the format, actually, that you mentioned there, if someone picks your book off the shelf, what is it they're going to find? What are they, what are they uh, looking at?
2: So, in terms of the format of the book, um, we, we basically because we're such edgy geeks. And because we read so many books, we have kind of looked at kind of like best practice in terms of what we've really enjoyed and found useful in terms of format. So the chapters all begin with kind of like, you know, a quote, which kind of sets... Up the chapter kind of just encompasses it. Um, It's a brief introduction to the chapter, the kind of why we think it's important, you know, what are the key aspects of it, because we've got to bear in mind that, you know, there are a range of different practitioners who will be reading this book, whether it's early careers, um, whether it's someone who's really experienced and just making sure that we're all on the same page when, you know, we're looking at this chapter, this is what we mean when we're talking about this. Um, And then it will go through kind of the main body where it will share kind of research behind it, um, things which have worked really well. Well, um, that we've seen across the history community not just within our own practice things that haven't worked so well a little bit of honesty like I know in my chapter I when I talk about sources I talk about what I did monumentally wrong and, and say try to avoid doing that um, um the big kind of thread through it is kind of practical application so you know this is the theory this is the research but here are some things that you could tangibly try in your classroom um and then it finishes with um five um reflection questions that you can discuss either as a department you can you know think about yourself or discuss with your SLT um, and then three suggestions of further resources to kind of keep that conversation going.
0: Really practical then.
1: Yeah and as Alex said earlier it's kind of split into two sections overall so the first section covers the more um the concepts that we talked about earlier, so things like causation, significance, etc., and then also those links to cognitive science, so things like scaffolding, retrieval practice, revision in history. The second part of the book deals with those more curriculum areas, so it's more curriculum-focused. So how do we teach, like Alex said, LGBTQ history well? How do we teach the history of Gypsy and Roma people? How do we teach um, empire really well? Um, all of these are areas that um history teachers are currently tackling and trying to work out the best way of teaching so it's it's um It's a suggestion. It's not a how-to guide. These are suggestions of what other teachers have tried and that have worked well um, with links to historians. And then, as Alex said, really practical strategies throughout the book as well. So um, the history teachers have contributed, have all been generous to put in kind of examples of their student work, um, examples of resources that they've used. Um, And some of them, some of the chapters even have QR codes to like further resources that we just couldn't put into a book format. Um, So as we said, there's there's loads in it, and it's not intended to be a sit down and read in one go. It's more that people can dip into particular chapters. So I was contacted um, a a couple of weeks ago by um, someone I used to work with who said, um, I've Um, shared the transition chapter with all of my team. And it's really informed some brilliant discussion. And we've completely changed how we're going to do our introductory topic in year seven. And that's exactly how we envisaged it being being used. So it's fantastic to hear um, that it's already having an impact.
0: That's great. A lot of the conversations I'm having with people at the moment are about things that they've either enjoyed being able to dip in and out of, like you're saying, or being able to pull a chapter out and share it with people. And do you think, Is that the way our reading habits are going, do you think? Rather than sitting down and reading something kind of cover to cover, we're kind of dipping in and out a bit more and using it in that kind of more flexible way?
2: I think so. I think, you know, the the thing is, is that when you get a book, it's very exciting, but it can also be very overwhelming. Um, you know, you read through the, like this this kind of tome of really high quality kind of research and effective practice. And you get that inertia where you're like, where do I begin? What, you know, where do I start? And you begin to kind of align it with your kind of school principles or your departmental principles, and you know you begin to do that. But there is that kind of that anxiety that comes with you're faced with a vast ocean of things that you could do. You know, where do you tip your toe into the water for one of a, a better kind of phrase? So I think what this allows it to do by compartmentalizing it off is having look. You know, history is is huge. Um, the curriculum itself within history, you know, as any history teacher will tell you. It's impossible to kind of boil down what it is that you want to include without having to reconcile what you're missing out. And so with this, what we've tried to do is kind of say, look, here are some things compartmentalised off. What are your priorities? And then use that chapter to be able to do so and use that as a three month, six month, whole year priority within your department and get those conversations going. So how it is, and I hate to use the phrase, how it is that you can do a deep dive on a particular strand that you want to improve Or if it is that you've got ECTs and they need to develop in a certain area, so say, for example, they need to develop their literacy, they're doing their ECT training with a provider, how it is that you then support them in being able to translate that into the history classroom in your specific school. And again, just helping to chunk it down and scaffold it because there is a CPD gap which exists within departments and within schools and so it just means that we're hoping that the book will be accessible in terms of not being hit with a big weighty tome of information but instead saying let's pick one thing let's get really good at it or I would like you to focus on this you to focus on that and then we'll come together and we'll have those meaningful conversations rather than trying to do it all thinking about kind of what are the the key priority areas.
1: I think um, people are used to consuming blogs and and short articles now a lot more than they ever were in the past. And like Alex said, I do think it can be quite overwhelming to look at a whole book. I think there are a few of us. I am probably one of the rare people that I do like to just sit down and read a book from cover to cover. Um, But I do think it's become a bit more of a trend now to be able to dip in and out because of... You know, if you look at how we consume news and um, things on a day to day basis, just generally not even talking about in schools. It is this kind of quick read. What's the headline? And then I'm going to um, possibly just go in and deep do a deep dive on that particular area. So, yeah, I, I do think it is the way that things are going.
0: I think it's a really important message for people to realise that they don't have to sit and read something cover to cover if they don't want to. But equally, if that's their style, then that's fine. But you know, like you said, it can be overwhelming to have that book in front of you and go, like, how on earth am I going to, well, where do I even begin with this? So to know that you can go, actually, that chapter looks interesting to me or that topic is something I need to work on is a nice way for people to feel it's all a little bit more accessible, I guess. So you've said you've got a lot of people uh, involved in um, creating the book with you. Uh, have you got is it a range of people from different kind of school contexts and backgrounds, that kind of thing? What can you tell us about who's been involved? You might not want to say names, I get that, because then you always forget someone. Totally fine. <laughs> but tell us the, the rough gist.
2: So there are over 25 um, contributors um yeah and it's geographically diverse so all the way down to the silly isles um all the way up to to newcastle um so we've got a broad geographical range and that involves different contexts in terms of um whether you're in all through school whether you're a secondary school whether there's a sixth form attached we've got um people who work within universities um as well because what we wanted to do was cover that broad range of different practitioners because if we're writing it from the lens of just our own kind of context it might might be that therefore we're not including the different circumstances and demographics that other people might work in where perhaps there are these other challenges. Um, I think it's also important as well because um, having that diversity of different voices with different experiences so in terms of career stage we've got a broad range of different career stage people, people who've been in the game for a long time like myself and Rachel and mean that politely Rachel. <laughs> we've been in it a long time and perhaps people who haven't been in teaching that long um because in the end it's not about the amount of years of service it's about that experience and what people can bring to the table and that authenticity of the voice and say so, for example for me you know I'd like to think that I've done a lot of work on and I'm going to pick LGBTQ for example but actually having Becky Carter working on that who has invested so much time and has so much wealth of experience it would have been inauthentic to have written a chapter of which there is someone who is out there with that vast pool of expertise and so it felt very very important to make sure that we were going to the people that we knew had that kind of real credibility and and kind of um, wealth of experience behind them to be able to you know, talk through all the different parts that perhaps, you know, either myself or Rachel hadn't had the depth of experience to do.
0: Yeah, I think that's another important thing, isn't it? Having that that vast range of people involved. And it gives something that all sorts of people can relate to. And it's not, you know, there's certain books that you'll pick up and you know the name of the author. And, you know, it's nice to go through books and go, oh, look, lots of people have contributed to this. It doesn't have to be that person with a million and one Twitter followers. There could be. You know, there's opportunities for everyone. I think that's what I try and do with the podcast for anyone to have their say on these things because you know we're all equal in that in those terms aren't we?
2: Yeah absolutely and I think it's that thing where you know as you're saying there like it doesn't matter about the Twitter followers it doesn't matter about the amount of years it doesn't matter if you know somebody's a middle leader or a senior leader or, or whatnot a big part of this book that we're really proud of is that it is a real kind of collaborative effort and you know the whole ethos behind it is that everyone has a voice everyone is doing something really effective um and it's about kind of giving back to the community and ensuring that those people feel seen and feel heard um because what they have to say is incredibly useful um and should be
0: so you said earlier you know that you, you picked to 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 do the book subject specific because you felt that there's some things that need that that degree of translation from the whole school to the subject specific so I guess slightly going in a tangent related to subject specific but not the book have you got any advice for what people can do to get involved with other subject specific things so I know there's you've had involvement in other history related things What, what what can you tell people to to get involved with
1: I think the number one piece of advice is to get involved with their subject association. I mean, we're lucky in the history community that we have the best subject association. No bias. (laughs) Um, Historical association. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and there are other history related um, teaching organisations as well, like SHP, um, that just put on the most phenomenal CPD for us so you can dip into a conference um they provide um, resources that you can read um th- there's blogs related to um a- HA do um there's local events as well um so I think for us we're really really lucky but actually lots of subjects do have subject associations that put on some really good CPD and I think um that's it's usually quite accessible and something that schools are usually prepared to fund as well because schools are realising more and more especially with the new Ofsted framework the importance of actually um, improving subject knowledge and keeping up to date what's going on in
0: your subject community. Do you think that's something we're doing a bit more of now than maybe was in the past? I've seen more more schools going towards having some subject-specific CPD that maybe we haven't had in a while? Do you think that's the case? Yeah,
1: I definitely think so. I mean, I always say to the staff in my school that if um, you're sitting reading um, a, a book related to your subject knowledge in your PPA, I'm not going to look at you and think, why aren't you marking or why aren't you doing this? I'm, I'm thinking, yes, this is amazing. Because, you know, like as we started the podcast, if how can you give good explanations, give good feedback? How can you scaffold well if you're not Got, if you're not starting with the point of having good subject knowledge in the first place. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of schools are recognizing the importance of it more. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So
2: my parts on um what you can do to better connect as rachel said subject associations are, are really really fantastic um i think also as well within the history community we're very blessed with historians who are willing to kind of reach out and support um and i think everyone within the history community is so so giving like if you go on twitter there is an absolute gluttony of people who would be really really supportive so i think you know in terms of advice for other um subjects it would be as rachel said seek out your um subject associations Um, go on Twitter and have a look so say for example if you if you're thinking about geography then Michael Childs is kind of like you go to you know if you're thinking about English then it's going to be Cat Howard and it's going to be highly Hughes. so I think it's you know it's about going out there and just basically doing a call to action and saying is there someone who's within my subject that that could help me to distill what books would be quite useful for me, you know, and there are some overarching books, which are quite useful, like Mary Myatt's books so on kind of curriculum, where it has subject specific chapters and ones on disciplinary literacy that have subject specific chapters. So again, sometimes just going on, on a platform such as, as Twitter and saying, I'm really interested in this within a subject specific lens, who who is available to talk to me about these different things. And nine times out of 10 people are so, so given of their time, so, so given.
0: So go okay, kind of guess away from the subject specific uh, in terms of engaging with CPD beyond your own school. So put yourself in the position of the person who is in a school where they, they don't feel like they've got people to talk to about, about these kind of conversations we're having now. Uh, what sorts of things would you recommend they, they do and get involved with? So I know you, you've mentioned calling out on Twitter as, as one of them, but what else could they do?
1: I think, um, a really important way for me to get good CPD has been through conferences. So, um, research head, most notably, but there are other conferences that go on, the subject-specific conferences. There's also um, uh, just more generic conferences. Um, Highly Hughes just done one uh, for mentors. Um, that was absolutely brilliant. So, I, I think actually going and either going to an online conference or going in person can be really, really valuable CPD. For me, research ed has just been incredible. Um, the quality of the speakers at events like that for such a low cost. And yes, it is giving up your Saturday, um, but it's, you know, it might be just be one over the whole year that you go to. Um, but, yeah, hearing such quality talks, getting recommendations of, of books from there, uh, recommendations of other people you can go and speak to. Um, I think it's been absolutely brilliant. Yeah,
2: I would second that. I think, you
1: know, those conferences are really, really great. As Rachel said, you know, there's
2: your, your kind of general education ones like research ed. And if you aren't able to attend in person, then there's the online. Um, aspects of it that you can kind of engage with and then follow up with the speaker perhaps by connecting with them on Twitter or, or something like that. But that actual immersion into an environment with other people who are equally as excited and interested in the different things can really form those sorts of connections. Me and Rachel met through a conference and you know it's created a friendship for life and, and that's been the same and with, with a range of different people so I think it's you know putting yourself out there and it can be really daunting if you go to a conference on your own and you're thinking oh I'm going to be out there on my own and as an introvert I totally get that but if you get there you sit next to someone and you just spark up that conversation it's amazing how different things can evolve and, and kind of grow through that so I, I'd, I fully recommend that Um, I think also as well other ways to kind of perhaps not collaborate or meet with other people, but different ways that you can kind of access research in really small drip feed ways is you can sign up to subscribing lists like Peps McRae does one um, each week. Mary Myatt does one each week. So again, that kind of drip feed of of different things um, where you can kind of um, explore Um, different snippets of information um, and maybe have a look locally Um, so say for example in Durham there's a Durham History Network Um, we're setting up Historical Association Northeast so having a look at what might there be locally that you can engage with because I know there's things like Brewed and and whatnot Um, so yeah there's lots of different things Um, I guess it's just a case of kind of going out there and and having a look at what would work best with your circumstances.
1: Yeah I just echo what Alex said that don't worry if you're on your own because lots and lots of people go to these events on their own um, and very quickly, as Alex said, kind of meet other people that are in similar situations. Um, And yeah, I mean, we met at a conference. um, Yeah. And look, here we are. We just published a book. So (laughs) who knows what might happen?
0: No, I totally agree with you. The amount of connections that I've got now that have been as a result of either Twitter or these kinds of events is, uh, well, I couldn't have imagined it. So it's it's definitely worth just putting yourself out there for that one time that you have to push out of your comfort zone. And then after that, you find people, don't you? Um, so I noted down earlier, Alex, you mentioned a, a CPD gap. Could you just explain a little bit more about what you meant?
2: Um, So the first time that I kind of saw it phrased as CPD gap was when I read Kate Jones's book on retrieval practice where she talks about it. Um, So this idea that, you know, within schools, there will be kind of this gap in terms of perhaps expertise or kind of knowledge. And that comes for a range of different reasons. And and that can be, you know, circumstances, um, particularly, you know, say for example if you've got children you might not have the opportunity to to on a night time to read as, as as much as perhaps someone who doesn't have children um it might be that some people um you know, really want to invest in in reading different books and going to conferences and they can afford to do so and and have that time to do so. And it might be that, you know, some people for, you know, their their own vision and, and what they want to achieve, they either want to engage in CPD or actually, you know, in terms of being protective of their time, don't want to perhaps invest um beyond a certain amount of hours. And and that again is absolutely, you know, horses for courses and each person has their own Um, way of approaching their kind of like career so it's how it is that we try and make sure that CPD therefore is accessible um, Mm. and that you know whilst it is that we have high expectations of CPD and you know we want to teach the top in terms of our CPD how it is that we don't make people feel that they are massively behind that there is this big gap that you know there's people that know so 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 much and it's 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 that you're almost kind of like running last behind this race because you, you don't have x amount of hours to actually do that reading that somebody else Might want to do. So, how it is that we motivate people, we provide accessible um, but challenging CPD, we scaffold it and we chunk it so that, again, everyone feels that they belong in that CPD, everyone feels that they can engage with it, um, and that there isn't this kind of like hierarchy of kind of expertise and that sort of thing.
1: I think just picking up what Alex said there, we were really keen with the book to make sure that it was accessible, um, because I do think there is some reading out there that is very academic, and especially when we're so busy um, as as teachers, so under pressure, to find the time for CPD, and then that the CPD is actually really hard to digest, that just puts people off. So we were so keen that our book was, um, you know, still really well-researched and quality, but really accessible um, for everybody who might just have, you know, 20 minutes here and there to be able to to read. Yeah, that's, I mean, you get heads up,
2: so you get heads of department, bless them, where like I've never actually been a head of department myself um, and I, I just I'm in awe of heads of department and also heads of year um, because in pastoral things just grow arms, legs and teeth in a morning and it just takes over your whole day. So having the capacity and, and kind of mental bandwidth to then be able to kind of digest kind of books, as Rachel was saying, is, is asking quite a lot when, you know, a head of department might have data deadlines, they've got a curriculum evaluation, then they get hit with a mock stead um, and then, you know, they're sitting coming in in two weeks time it's it's, schools are very very busy ecosystems and it doesn't create that capacity for kind of CPD to the extent that we would want it to and unless you're in a school that really does carve and protect that time it does mean that we do have to be supportive with providing CPD that doesn't add to that gap and instead looks at those different contexts and helps to bridge that gap so that everyone feels as I said you know that they can access it in ways which are achievable to them.
0: So have you got any suggestions kind of what what can we do in schools? So as well as the well as fantastic resources of like books like yours, what can we do in schools to whether it's a kind of bite-sized thing, whether it's drip feeding things into people, but what can we do to try and support teachers without making them feel overwhelmed with the the CPD they need to do or must do?
1: I think the most important thing is to ring fence time for it. Um, It's the biggest problem in schools that we have so little time, Um, but it has to be a priority for school leaders. If we want our teachers to flourish in the classroom, um, to be able to um, teach really, really effectively, they need to be able to spend their time on the right things, the things that are going to matter the most. And how can they do that if they're not skilled to know what those things are. We've got to protect their time. I'm really passionate about it. Um, In my school, we're really lucky that we do have an hour for each subject protected each fortnight within the school day. Um, And that makes up a bulk of their CPD. Um, So then some of our other directed time is being used for um, one-to-one coaching, instructional coaching. Um, But however you do it, whether your setup might be different, but I think school leaders have got to prioritize that that time is ring fenced
2: yeah I think for me um, yeah I think for me there's there's two things which build upon that one time is absolutely you know it's it's the one thing that every teacher wishes they had more of I think the other thing is it's really making sure that it's purposeful you know we only have a finite amount of time for CPD so it's really got to tie in with what the development of the school and the department and what our pupils really need we've got a duty of care to our pupils to make sure that we're investing CPD into the high priority areas and if it is that people perhaps don't feel that the CPD is it is something which aligns with the priority you you you're kind of onto a bit of a, a lose and streak there, you lose that motivation because that common sense of purpose um, can can kind of be lost. And I think the other aspect of it is really making sure that it's a diet. Um, you know, there are some times where perhaps there are more top-down things that need to be done, but you've got to balance that against making sure that there's the opportunity for departmental time to be able to digest. Those, those different aspects fit it, and then also to personalise it as well. So, you know, if it is, for example, you're introducing a literacy strategy, it might be that there's that top-down kind of initial phase. And, you know, throughout the year, you might kind of bulk that up. But then you've got to then create the time to train to empower your middle leader to be able to be the one to drive that within their department. And if you don't do that collaboratively, if you don't work with them to say, how could this work in your subject before you do your whole school CPD? Again, you're missing a trick then you do the whole school CPD, they then drive that within their departments as experts within their fields. And then from that, it is that practitioners are then able to kind of dip into personalised and bespoke CPD to kind of work on an area that's really going to help them to develop their own individual practice. So I think, you know, those two things, you know, the purpose is absolutely essential because um, I know fine well that if I, I walk into a session and I'm like, oh, it's a well being one, great. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where you can feel like it's been done for the sake of it as opposed to actually, you know, here's here's what we're doing, this is why we're doing it, and this is the impact that we know it's going to have on, on teachers and, and pupils. It can be quite difficult then to get people to to buy into it.
1: I think also as, um, as a CPD lead, I feel a big part of my job is to bring that CPD to the staff in my school so um pointing out you know what that there's going to be a conference coming up and can school pay for the tickets for that conference um buying into cpd programs um you know we have just bought into um mary my cpd platform um to add to people in uh, our school leaders can access that as an extra part of cpd you know there might be things that the school can actually um practically do that's going to help with CPD we buy all of our um, staff CPD journals so they've got a really nice place to record the CPD they do and that's really motivating as well Um, we do regular reviews where the um, staff can share the CPD that they've been on and share good practice with each other so I think there are practical things as well that um, might be a little bit gimmicky but just sort of help motivate staff and make them feel that this is perhaps more for them
0: yeah things that help staff feel part of it rather than you know it, it being done to them so whether it's the you know the, it's the purpose like you were saying rather than you know the next big thing that we've just cottoned onto because other people are doing it or you know providing something that you think is is fitting for your staff and like you were saying talk to the heads of departments about bringing them in on this is what we're going to look at next and how we're going to do it so there's that that element of buy in there as well so before we kind of wrap up this section, is there well, is there anything you'd like to talk about that we haven't haven't had a chance to cover at this point? Um, I think probably the
2: only thing that I would kind of say is um, talking about the importance of history within the, the curriculum. Um, <laughs> as historians we're always going to do this. Um, so I think you know one thing that is really important for senior leaders to hear is the importance of carving out that time for history. Um, and making sure that there is enough time for practitioners to really research their curriculum and have time to look at their intent and their implementation history is massively important. Um, it's a foundational subject for so many different things that links with with English, if you're looking at kind of like animal farm, well, you know, what's going on in history when you're looking at dictatorships and communism and that sort of thing. I think sometimes, you know, uh, there can be a a focus on subjects such as maths and science. Um, And I know particularly at the moment, the focus on recruitment is in things like computer science and MFL and, and things like that. And it can mean that therefore that humanities do get kind of forgotten about and kind of put to the side but we are a massively important subject and we have so much expertise Um, so the more that SLTs can do to carve out that time to give us the space to be able to produce really effective curriculums the more that we can help to bulk up things such as English uh, and science through things like the history of medicine Um, but we do need that time and we do need that um, well I can't think of the phrase but we do need to be kind of seen as a subject and, and have that support.
1: Um, yeah.
0: Anything to add to that, Rachel?
1: No, I just echo everything <laughs> Alex has said. Really.
0: <laughs> yeah. In that case, before we move on, uh, we'll just wrap up this section. Can you tell us the full title of your book and where we can get it? And also where people can find you if they'd like to get in touch or follow you, et cetera.
1: So the full title is "What Is History Teaching Now: A Practical Handbook for All History Teachers and Educators" by Alex Fairlam and Rachel Ball. Uh, you can get in touch with me, Rachel, on Twitter. Um, I'm at Mrs Ball AP. Um, I also occasionally write a blog um, at the educational educationalimposters.wordpress.com. Um, so with me again, you can get hold of me on
2: Twitter I'm at a really unusual um, Twitter handle that um, I started a while ago and now can't change. It's at lamb underscore heart underscore T um and our book is available at johncat edu and it's also available on amazon but there are other retailers as well um, and if you are interested in kind of finding out more about the historical association then you can contact myself or contact hist Sock, uh, on twitter to find out more about the work that they do and their website's phenomenal in terms of cpd opportunities
0: great thanks and i will try and put the links to all of those various bits and pieces that you've just said in the, in the notes so people can get hold of them sign up to receive the from page to practice weekly newsletter to read tips and advice from my guests as well as information on upcoming episodes find the link in the show notes for this episode so this final round uh, i've called the cpd library round it doesn't have to be a book so uh The way this works, I've got a list of categories and I'd just like to hear the thing that comes to mind for you. So it could be a book, it could be a podcast, it could be a a blog, a person you follow, I don't know, anything related. Uh, And originally it was going to be quick fire and then I remembered that I'm speaking to teachers who've all got lovely reasons and stories for things. So forget that, take as long as you need uh, and take it how you like, whether you want to take it in turns or whatever. So the first one I've got is First Got You Into Evidence-Informed Practice.
1: I really struggled to remember which one, uh, which book or or blog or anything this was for me. But I'm going to say Making Every History Lesson Count by Chris Ronicles, which is fantastic, was a massive help for us in writing our own book um, and really made me think about some practice that I was doing in the classroom and the mistakes I was making really going back to what the evidence says good teaching is and what that might look like in history so it's a brilliant chapter for example on modelling um, uh, yeah just absolutely fantastic book.
0: That book and ones from the series have come up so many times for different people it's great to hear it keep coming up. Alex what were you?
2: Um, I think I've got kind of two aspects of it. I struggled to, to remember as well but I think for me like ever since I was a, a PGC student I you know I always logged on to historical association because there was lots of kind of different things about not only um how you teach but also kind of the curriculum in terms of what you teach I remember I was working at an all-boys school um and I had introduced suffragettes and I was like oh my days how do I do that and and that just kind of provided that kind of guiding light on it there so I think that was really great but then that wider educational stuff I think Um, boys don't try was a really interesting one Um, where I was working at the time they were looking at introducing um, gendered classes um, in English um, for top set um, and I asked them what the rationale was and the rationale was because boys you know we can do books for boys and you know competition and all that sort of stuff and and so I remember reading that book and being like this is it like this is everything that I like really kind of rides against me so that again kind of contribute to my focus on kind of diversity and the importance of making sure that we're dispelling myths and misconceptions not only within the curriculum but also our teaching practice as well
0: it's great to hear how reading one thing can kind of push you in a direction of of looking at more things to do with that it's a domino effect isn't it um so the next one resonated with you the most
1: So I've gone for the book that, um, it's resonated with me because I've used it so many times in CPD. I refer to it all the time. I think he probably thinks I'm an absolute stalker, but Peps McRae's motivated teaching, I think is just phenomenal. It's really changed my own personal practice, but it's also been brilliant for CPD, um, it's just really succinct, really easy to read and yet every every word is just like absolute dynamite. Um so just one little example from the book he talks about um uh, nudging norms and about making it normal practice to do homework for example. Um so instead of saying to the class, "Oh, you um you five people haven't done your homework this like this week, you would concentrate on the people that have done their homework, read out their names or whatever you want to do and deal with the people who haven't in private. So you're making it normal practice that everyone does their homework in this class. And that kind of um, strategy has been absolutely transformational for my teaching. And I've been able to share it with loads of other people as well.
2: Um, I think one of the, the key books that um, has really resonated be, with me has been Alex Quigley's books on things such as closing the reading gap. Um, so I think, you know, it's one of those things that until I started looking at literacy in more detail, I hadn't realised, you know, how important it was as secondary practitioners. We weren't taught about how to teach reading. And it's that quote that he's got where we need to bear in mind that secondary practitioners that, you know, when we are when we're putting information in front of children some children are still learning to read whereas we're expecting them to read to learn and actually how he broke down the importance of of how we explicitly teach reading and then he follows that up in his vocabulary book and his writing book is massively important um primary teachers are taught things like phonics morphology etc whereas that's something that has been missing and i know lots of providers in the ect programs are now including literacy but perhaps not to the extent that it could be he really breaks down the importance of it um, our duty of care to our children to make sure that we are really thinking mindfully about how we thread in um, opportunities for modelled reading within the classroom um, and what that could practically look like and I think you know one of the key things we've talked about is making sure that you know whatever book that you're reading is accessible that book is really really accessible how he breaks down the challenges that children experience and it's those things where the penny drops and you're like of course no wonder that child couldn't do that activity because And no wonder they were acting as they were, because wouldn't you if you couldn't read the information in front of you? So that was really, really transformative in terms of not only my own individual practice, but also as well how I communicate it. And, you know, there's not a CPD practice that goes by where I don't use something from his book on that. Either as kind of a way that I approach the craft of the CPD, like front loading with vocabulary or et cetera, or where I don't include a quote from him. So again, I'm sounding a bit like Rachel on the whole stalker front, you know, Peps McRae and Alex quickly. <laughs> <there one
0: channel. laughs> you know what, honestly, I wish I'd been tallying the names that have been coming up. I might have to just sit and listen back because Peps and Alex both have come up in multiple conversations. And I think this is the 12th twelfth one I'm recording or something. And they're just books for the same reasons, you know, they've just got solid things in them. And the, the concise nature of, of Peps books comes up every time as well. Um, so the next one is challenged your views
1: I'm going to copy Alex earlier I had written down boys don't try for me yeah absolutely transformational Um, like Alex said really challenged some practice that was going on within my school at the time so things like competition um books about war, you know, studying lots of Hitler and World War II because we think that's what boys like um, and is going to engage the boys, myths around engagement, um, but also things like language and the way that we speak to boys and kind of laddish culture. Um, That book really contains so much brilliant advice, um, not just for within the curriculum, but also pastorally as well um, and really did challenge a lot of views in my school. It's
2: kind of like almost like a nice echo to that because Lost Girls is um, the 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 other one. <laughs> the other equivalent a bit Lost Girls I think is a really really important one. There is a lot of focus on white working class boys and their lack of engagement and you know their, their outcomes and that sort of thing. Whereas actually, it can be that um, a lot of um, A lot of focus is therefore placed on that rather than looking at actually girls within the classroom. And again, those myths and misconceptions about how girls learn and how they present is kind of nice and quiet and all that sort of thing. And I think, you know, just recently, one of the books that's helped to reinforce that is the Pride and Progress book, um, which has just come out by um, Joe Brassington and. Adam Kale, I think it is. Um, and again, just making sure as well that I'm not just focusing on boys and girls and actually I'm looking at kind of, uh, you know, heteronormativity, cisnormativity and that sort of thing and how it is that we can make sure that all children feel seen within our curriculums, within our classrooms, within our pastoral care. Um, and again, just challenging those myths and misconceptions. One of the, the most interesting things that I find in that book, Pride and Progress, is about um, the bicycle, where it is that a guy who's Australian did the study where actually it's really hard to um learn something because you've got to simultaneously unlearn something so he learns how to ride a bicycle backwards but it's really really hard and takes him eight months because he's got to unlearn how he learned to ride ride a bike and I think that again is something which is really great in terms of when you're speaking to staff about introducing something and changing mindsets about things that that kind of that honesty of that you know it is going to be uncomfortable you've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because you've got to challenge your thinking about how you've thought about something or perhaps done it as a habit routine for so long and now actually you've got to look at it again differently so I think those have been really powerful.
0: Oh, a lovely kind of trio of books that would go quite well together there if people haven't read any of those before. It's a really nice place to start with that kind of topic as well, isn't it? Um, Had the biggest impact on your practice?
1: So, so many I could choose here. I found this really difficult. I'm going to go for um, a book that really Has impacted my teaching practice, but also made me feel seen in the classroom. um, And that is Jamie Tom's Quiet um, A Quiet Education. Um, So, um, this is kind of the partner book to Susan Cain's Quiet, um, which is all about introvertism and um, the power of introverts. Jamie Tom brings that into a classroom situation. So, talks about you as an introverted teacher, but also how you can um, use the best strategies for your introvert students. So going back to what Alex has said before about you, know, you feeling seen um, and our students being seen within the classroom, um, just think for me, it was so brilliantly written, um, really practical strategies and yet really moving at times as well. Um, and yeah, just had a really big impact on me feeling sort of Um, vindicated for who I am because I do struggle sometimes being an introvert and feeling that I should be this really um, charismatic character and that you've got to be like that to be a teacher and that's not the case and he makes that case um, throughout the book really really well. Um, I think in terms of impact, it'll be perhaps the women ed books, um, you
2: know, as a as a female educator, kind of knowing that there's a community out there who can um, support you and who can share in experiences that you might also be experiencing. I was fortunate enough to write the book. Um, I feel like me and Rachel have almost pre-prepared this because we talk about the same things here. Um, but in their second book, I wrote a chapter on what it is to be an introvert introverted leader um, and so having that space and, and that forum where it is that I knew that people would understand and appreciate that and reading the other chapters about the challenges that women face in terms of unconscious bias um, in terms of kind of workplace practice in terms of you know climbing up the ladder all those different things actually having that where you felt yes actually this is what I've experienced this is my concerns this is what I see um, to have that kind of community and forum was massively important
0: where well, you can see how you two have written a book together because everything you're saying is just dovetailing and if i believe that you didn't prepare this together then not. it's really working isn't it <laughs> we absolutely did not <laughs> so should be required reading for early career teachers or teacher trainees
1: Again, found this really, really difficult. There's so many. Um, I read Tips for Teachers by um, Craig Barton not that long ago. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I think Making Every Lesson Count as well. But I'm actually going to go for Pete Foster's book, which I was lucky enough to read just before it was published. What Do New Teachers Need to Know? Um, I think he really... Um, he writes excellently, uh, really research, evidence informed um, and just kind of breaks down all the different aspects of classroom practice for particularly written for new teachers. Um,
2: for me, it would be year one, which is by Michael Charles and David Goodwin. Um, again, I just think it's a really kind of clear overview, of different pedagogical practices. Um, and I think it could be really well aligned to the different providers, which different um ECTs are working with in terms of okay so we're focusing on this at the minute and then picking up that chapter of the book and so we've made sure that all of our mentees have that book so that again during mental conversations they can kind of look more in depth at that I just think it's a really insightful and much needed book in terms of how they help to distill what is you know a, a, a kind of a vast range of information that they're being hit with each week as part of their training program and it, it just helps to
1: anchor everything together.
0: And the next one uh, is Inspired You.
1: For me, um, Jade Pierce's book, What Does Every Teacher Need to Know? Um, I was really lucky enough to contribute a case study to that book. Um, But the first section um, has got really accessible summaries of um, research that's out there. Um, And then there's a really useful section about how to bring CPD into um, into schools effectively to create an evidence-informed CPD culture. Um, and for me, massively inspiring about how I can do a better job in my school um, about making CPD accessible and real um, and effective for the teachers um, that I work with.
2: Um, for me, I think it's a it's a recent publication, actually, which is The Building Culture by Lekha Sharma. Um, not only is the format incredible in terms of having like the thinking pages and things like that, but I think how she talks about how you can develop practice as, as a member of the SLT in terms of things like cognitive safety um, and all those different things so that we can make sure that um, we're creating a kind of a culture where everyone feels that they're attuned to the same vision in supportive yet challenging ways. I think it's an absolute must if you are receive senior leader because it just really does highlight how we can be kind and compassionate leaders and and develop these kind of these communities with with our um, practitioners um, in sustainable ways
0: so we're into our final three now so the next one is your most recent read
1: for me, it was Matt Pinkett's Boys Do Cry. Um, absolutely fantastic book. Again, really challenged um, a lot of ideas that are out there um, about how to support boys better, particularly pastorally. Um, there's an excellent chapter on physical education um, in schools and how uh, we can best, best support boys there, about boys opening up about their mental health, how we can encourage boys to talk in school. Um, It went straight to my head of personal development and has already impacted on our PSHE curriculum for next year. Absolutely brilliant book.
2: Um, for me, it's um, Christopher Sucher's book, which is the art and science of primary um, reading. Um, I'm in and all through context and leading on literacy. It means that, you know, I've really got to look at those foundational aspects of the development of it and how it is that we can create a progression model of literacy from all the way from early years, all the way upwards. And just the way that he really succinctly gets across things, which as a secondary practitioner that's never been trained in how to do literacy before, you know, what you need to know about Um, phonics and morphology and, you know, how it is that you could create a whole school program of learning tier two and tier three vocabulary reading programs and canons for me it's it's absolutely essential reading I think for every um, secondary literacy lead and every secondary um, SLT leader because in the end literacy is such a bedrock of our curriculum and teaching and learning practice that the more that we can understand kind of how it is that literacy evolves and develops from early years then the better that will be for our secondary literacy programs
0: so if that was your most recent read, my logical step is what's next on the to-be-read pile?
1: So I'm a big fan of all the Hut books by Mary Myatt and John Thompson and the Send Hut book is, has just come out, I think, or is about to come out. So I'm really keen to read that one.
2: Yeah, so um, I've just recently brought back um, Bradley Bush's new book. So for me, that's going to be a really great one. I'm looking forward to all the infographics in it as well. So, um, and I have to say that I was uh, influenced by Rachel. So I saw her tweeting about it. So of course, you know, always adding to my uh, basket of books. So that's on my desk and I'm looking forward to getting tucked into that.
0: And that's really good timing because I don't think I've recorded one since then. I think the last episode that's going to have gone out before this one will have been with Bradley as well, talking about that book. <laughs> Uh, so the last category people have taken different ways i called it i said doesn't exist but should so it could be that there's an area that you think hasn't been tapped into and you just wish we were writing more about that or there's lots of bits and pieces around about it and you think it should be in one place or a certain stage in your career that thing would have been really useful to you so take it how you want but doesn't exist you don't think but should Um,
1: I'm really, really interested in instructional coaching. Um, We have been implementing instructional coaching in my school for the last year. Um, Everybody coaching each other. Um, And there are books out there. There's not very much from a British context um, and a kind of large scale context. I would love to read more about the kind of actual implementation and day to day practice of running instructional coaching in schools.
0: Great. Well, I think we've got from the end of this this episode is so many different things that people could kind of pick up on and take away. So I hope people aren't too overwhelmed with all the options that we've talked about. And there's definitely something there that everybody can kind of pick up at their own pace and and, and explore into a little bit more. So I really appreciate you both giving up. Well, it's turned into an hour now. So that's, that's actually flown by pretty quick. So I really appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Absolute pleasure talking to you, Bex
0: thanks bye are you interested in evidence-informed practice do you have a favorite edu book have an idea of what great cpd is and should be Want to just generally have a chat about education please sign up to join me for a conversation i rely on volunteers from all contexts and levels of experience visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast for the sign up form I hope you enjoyed this episode and next time we'll be hearing from another edubook author. We'll be talking to Singh about his book from the In Action series and you can find out what it was Bradley Bush wanted me to ask him. Please do sign up to have a chat with me for the podcast and keep series 5 going a bit longer. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade which are licensed under Creative Commons.